0: We are glad that you are here, and I'm glad to be here. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Ricky. I am honored to be the lead pastor of our church. And I wasn't here last week. I planned to be here last week, but I had a few other issues come up. Saturday afternoon, I started feeling some chest pains when I was outside playing with the dog in the backyard, and I thought, that's not right. And then it went away, and I thought, well, it's probably just my back. And then it came back, and then it went away, and then it came back, and I thought, I probably ought to tell Donna. And so I I said, I think you might want to take me to the ER. I'm having some chest pains. And so we checked my blood pressure. It was like 185 over 105 and got to uh, Baptist Beaches and, of course, had no pain once I got there. Felt perfectly fine, EKG normal. But they decided to keep me uh, because we have a family history of heart disease. And uh, with the symptoms I was uh, describing, they said, we're going to keep you for a while so at 10 o'clock, I texted Rick Wheeler, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to be at church. Could you just cover it in case I'm not there? And long story short, uh, the chest pains came back and they sent me Monday to Baptist downtown. Did a heart cath, found four blockages in one artery and put in four stents. and now I'm good to go. I feel like a new man. <laughs> so thank you for your prayers and for your concern. I felt uh, them and was encouraged more than you will know. I really appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I'm doing great. Now, if you want to keep mothering me, you ladies, feel free. Don't mind a bit. Uh, but I am. I'm really doing well, and I appreciate it. The good thing that came out of that is now when Donna asked me to do chores, I go, oh, baby, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> let, let me rest for a moment. So uh, so something good came out of it. But thank you for, for your prayers, and thank you to our staff and our volunteers. You guys are awesome. You just keep things going, uh, even if I'm not here. And I really appreciate that. That's a great testimony to what God is doing in your life through our church. And I plan to start this series called This Is My Story last Sunday, but we're going to start it today. It was supposed to be a three-week message series. Now I'm going to cram three weeks into two, so you need to listen quickly. So this week and next week, we're going to look at one verse, and it's a verse that has become my life's verse. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You know, the Christian life is not always easy. I think sometimes we assume that the Christian life means I place my faith in Jesus and I'm forgiven of my sin and I know I get to go to heaven one day when I die. And that's all wonderful. But the Christian life in the meantime is not easy. We still struggle with the temptation to sin even after we place our faith in Jesus that temptation does not go away. We are not perfect people this side of heaven, and sometimes we can become discouraged as Christians when we still face the temptations of this world to do what we know is not right in God's sight. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 is a verse that helps me when I feel tempted to sin. Other times we feel condemned by our sin. Maybe those past choices you've made still haunt you and you feel guilty. And sometimes those memories come back and you hear that little voice whispering in your ear that you can never get past your past. And so Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 helps me when I feel condemned by my sin. And Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 also helps me whenever I'm facing decisions that I need to make in life and I want to do the right thing, but I'm not always sure what that means, that I'm making a decision in a relationship or how I'm going to treat someone else or I'm making a decision with my finances or I'm making a decision with how I use my time or I'm making a decision with how I use my life or my body and I want to make sure that I'm doing what God would want me to do, what will please Him and honor Him as His child. And Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 gives me a lot of clarity when it comes to making those kind of decisions. And Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 also helps whenever I realize what is right and what God expects of me and what I'm supposed to do, but I don't feel that I have the power to do it. Sometimes I have trouble. Maybe you don't ever have this trouble, but sometimes I have trouble translating my beliefs into behavior. I know what I ought to do, but I don't always have the discipline or the self-will to do what I need to do. And so Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, really many years ago became my life's verse. And I believe today that this verse, just one verse, can become a powerful verse in your life as well. When you're tempted to sin, you can remember Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Whenever you're feeling condemned by your past and you're not sure if God could ever love you for what you've done or you could ever get past your past. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 will help you. Whenever you're making a critical decision about your relationship with God or with other people, maybe a spouse, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a stranger, this verse will help you. And whenever you're saying, I know what I need to do, but I just don't know if I've got the power to do it. I don't know if I have the strength. I, I've tried in the past, but I've failed. What's going to be different this time Galatians 2.20 will help you. This verse was written as a part of a letter to Christians in the ancient uh, city of Galatia in Asia Minor. So the Apostle Paul, as we know him, is writing this letter to encourage Christians. Now you remember, if you know church history, that Paul was not always a follower of Jesus. He believed that Jesus was not the Messiah. He believed Jesus was a charlatan, a false messiah. Paul was a good Jew and he rejected that Jesus, who was crucified by the Romans on a cross, could be Israel's Messiah. And whenever he heard that the followers of Jesus were going all over the world telling people that he is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead, it infuriated Paul. He took religious authority and he went and arrested Christians wherever he could find them, Jewish Christians. And he took them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial for blasphemy. He consented even when Christians were killed for their faith in Jesus. He was a great persecutor of the Christian church in that first century. And yet, one day, this great skeptic, this one who was hostile to Jesus and everything he stood for, had a complete transformation of his life. He went from being an opponent of Christianity to one of the greatest champions of Christianity the world has ever known. He became a follower of Jesus, and he went and told as many people as he could. He was the Billy Graham of his day, going all over the Roman Empire, reaching people with their faith in Jesus and planting churches. In fact, you can trace your spiritual heritage back to the work of the Apostle Paul, because he's the one who helped reach the known world of his day with the gospel. You say, what changed that guy? That would be like Bin Laden becoming a U.S. citizen and pledging allegiance to the flag. What, what, would, what would account for that transformation in his life? He met Jesus alive from the grave. The very one that he said was not the Messiah who did not rise from the dead, he met him when Jesus revealed himself alive. To Paul, and it changed his life. And Paul, looking back on his life, realized that his religion was not bad as a Jew, but he was using religion trying to earn his way to God. He thought that if he could keep the Ten Commandments and do everything right, if the good in his life outweighed the bad of his life, at the end of his life, then he would get eternal life. And he realized after having met Jesus that everything Jesus said was true. That you don't have to work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't be perfect. But you can put your faith in the one who was perfect. And who died on a cross to make you right with God. And so Paul is concerned that people stop trying to work their way to heaven by religion. And just start putting their faith in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And so in Galatians 2, verse 20, he says this, he writes this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, can I describe to you this new life I now have? I've found a new identity. I have found a new motivation. I have found a new purpose. I have found new power in my life all because of Jesus. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Yet I do live. I mean, you, I'm mean, i right here. I'm writing this letter to you. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not really me living. It's Christ who now lives in me. In the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me so much that he gave himself for me. And that changed Paul's life, and it can change your life as well. So what we're going to do today is just camp out on that first sentence, I have been crucified with Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, before we talk about the crucifixion of Christ, we need to think about the life of Christ. Before you get to the death of Christ, you need to consider the life of Christ. God sent his son Jesus into this world over 2,000 years ago. Jesus put it this way in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus was God in flesh. Jesus was God living among us. And Jesus did something that no one has ever done. And no one ever will do. Jesus lived the Christian life. Has it ever dawned on you that there's only one person who ever perfectly lived the Christian life? And his name is Jesus. You've never lived the perfect Christian life. I've never lived the per- perfect Christian life. I mean, I get paid to be good. You get to be good for nothing. But we, 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 none of us have ever lived the perfect Christian life. We still sin. We still mess up. And even before we became Christians, we know we certainly messed up in life. But Jesus lived a perfect life. In fact, one day Jesus was asked a question in Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 37 through 40. He was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. He was quoting from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He says, while we're at it, I'll give you the second greatest commandment commandment in the Old Testament. And that is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And then Jesus said, on these two commandments, hang the whole law. In other words, if you want to understand what God is trying to teach you through the Old Testament, he's trying to teach you, love God supremely, perfectly, and love other people selflessly, continually. Love God, love people. And you and I, when we look in the mirror, recognize that even on our best days are people who are failures in both of those. We have not always perfectly loved God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength. There are days, honestly, I love myself more than I love God. And there are Days that I have not loved my neighbor like myself. I don't treat other people like I want to be treated. I've not been perfect. And if you're honest, you have not been perfect. But Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived a completely righteous life. Even his own crucifixion companions... Even the Romans who put him on the cross, even the Jewish leadership had to admit, we can find nothing wrong in this man's life. They had to make up trumped up charges in order to condemn him to death. He lived a perfect life. You know what he was doing though? Jesus lived the life you could not live. Jesus came into this world for you. Jesus came into this world to represent you before a holy God. And Jesus came doing for you what you could never do for yourself. You can't live perfectly according to God's standards, but Jesus could. And he did. And he did it for you. Imagine how awesome that would be if when you're in college that you had... A person assigned to you who could be your proxy. They could take all of your examinations in your name. And not only did you have a proxy, this proxy would only get straight A's. Never anything less than perfection. You get to go to class, you don't have to sweat it. Because your proxy's going to take the test and going to pass with flying colors each and every time. I'd have paid good money for that, by the way, if there had been such a, a program in college. But you know something far greater happened to you than that? where you have not loved God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you've not loved your neighbor as yourself, and the wages of sin is death, God sent a proxy. God sent a mediator. God sent a representative. God sent his own son to live the life you could not live so that he could give you credit for the life of Jesus. Is that not awesome or what? But listen, he didn't just live a perfect life. He also died a substitutionary death. When Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, he's remembering the literal, physical crucifixion of Jesus where he died on a windswept hill outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And we know that Jesus, having lived a perfect life, also died on that cross you say, well if he lived a perfect life why in the world would he die he died as your substitute he not only represented you in life he represented you in death now there are many liberal theologians and pastors and churches and denominations today who frown upon the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of Christ They frown on the teaching that Jesus died for sinners. And they simply teach, oh, no, 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 that didn't happen. God didn't punish Jesus for you, and Jesus didn't take your place. Jesus just died as an example of great love. Jesus died as an example of selflessness. Jesus died as an expression of him loving his neighbor. And while I do not deny that, that answer... Does not go far enough. The clear, consistent teaching of scripture is that Jesus died for, on behalf of, in the place of, sinners. You and me. He died the death I should have died. I have a sister who's a year older than me. Her name is Sharon. I have a brother, Greg, who is four years younger than me, and we had a great childhood growing up. Uh, our parents were not Christians at that time uh, until I was 12, 13 years old, but we had a good family in so many ways. But we were not a perfect family, and, and I was not a perfect kid. Does that surprise you? None of you look surprised. I mean, there are days I, I did stuff and got away with it, and there are other days I did stuff, didn't get away with it. And even though my parents weren't Christians, they did know that Bible verse, spare the rod and spoil the child, and they didn't want to spoil the child. And so there were consequences to pay when you did wrong in our family. And you know, as much as I loved my siblings and as much as my siblings loved me, I can stand here today and tell you that not a single time when I was in trouble did my sister or my brother volunteer to take my punishment. Can you believe that? What kind of siblings are they? No, my siblings had the philosophy, Ricky, you do the crime, you do the time. They never volunteered to take my place. Oh, and by the way, I never volunteered to take their place either. But over 2,000 years ago, actually, according to the teachings of Scripture, in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son decided that the Son would take My place, my punishment, pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus did not die on a cross as a victim. He died as a volunteer taking your place, taking the punishment for your sin. You stop this morning and think about all the sin of your life, the sin of omission, those things you've not done, you should have done. Or the sins of commission, those sins that you did, you committed those acts that were wrong. The sins of your thought life, the sins of your speech, the sins of how you've used your body, the sins of how you've treated other people, the sins of how you've ignored God. You name those ugly sins and now you know why Jesus was dying. He was dying as your substitute on the cross of Calvary. Because God is both holy and righteous, but he's also loving and forgiving. And in Jesus, he could be both. He could uphold the righteous standard of his law and punish sin, but he could also forgive sinners by letting Jesus be our substitute. That's why Jesus died. He died the death you and I should have died on the cross of Calvary. Some people say, oh, his death on the cross was just a great example. Oh, no. His death on the cross was the great exchange. The Son of God for sinners. His righteous life for our sinful life. And what do we get out of this? Just yesterday, my uh, son Caleb came and said, I'm going to be going out and I don't know if I'll need some cash, but I don't have any. Uh, so <laughs> So could, could you give me some, or could I take your, your debit card? And I said, "Sure, I'll let you have the card." And uh, I haven't spoken to him this morning, so <laughs> uh, hopefully that was used wisely. But you know, he comes to me, or my kids come to me when they need something or want something that they can't pay for. And they get the benefit of taking my name, my authority. My reputation, my credit score, my cash, they get the benefit. I get the bill. And over 2,000 years ago, the great exchange was Jesus said, I'll take your sin and I'm going to give you credit for my righteous life. That's a good exchange, that's a blessing. You say, well, Ricky, I get that part, but what does it have to do with me? Why is Paul writing, I have been crucified with Christ? Because don't you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he did not just simply take your sin to the cross. He took you to the cross. He was taking your place, dying in your name, dying for your sin. He took you to the cross. If he just took your sin to the cross, let's just be honest, that leaves the problem you. (laughs) You're the problem. But he took you to the cross. He represented you on that cross. And so when Paul writes, I have been crucified. I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ. Paul's not referring to his own physical death. He was still very much alive. But he realizes now, everything Jesus did on that cross was for me and for the sins of the world. And because he was representing me, when I placed my faith in Jesus, in that moment, I died with Jesus. On that cross, the old me trying to earn my way into God's good graces by religion, the old me of thinking that I could work my way into heaven died with Jesus on that cross. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, think about the power of this truth. First of all, it's a fact, it's a fact to be remembered. You've been crucified with Christ. When sin knocks at the door of your heart, you need to remember this fact. I've been crucified with Christ. The old me who wants to do that and who would do that died with Jesus on that cross. When I'm feeling condemned by my sin, the old me under the condemnation of Jesus, under God, has died with Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm no longer under condemnation. Sin no longer has... The penalty against me, I'm no longer condemned. And when I'm trying to make choices about what I do with my life, my time, my relationships, I remember I was crucified with Christ. The life I now have, I owe to Him. Paul kind of hits on this in, in another passage of Scripture. Where in the book of Romans, he tells the believers that our response is to live for him who died for us. That the response when I learned the truth of Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is my response. My response is to live for him who died for me. Whenever Dr. Hassel Uh, came out and told me how the procedure had gone. And he said, your artery in all my years of practice was the worst one I've ever seen. And I really had trouble with that fourth stint, but I I finally got it. My first response was not to say, well, good, that's your job. Don't come in here bragging to me about how hard you worked. (laughs) No, my first response was, doctor, I cannot thank you enough. I cannot thank you enough and I can't thank your team enough for what you've done to save my life a procedure that you thought would take an hour took over two hours because you wouldn't give up I want to thank you for hanging in there I really appreciate that and out of gratitude I've been eating a lot more vegetables ever since last Monday (laughs) but can I tell you something we owe a greater debt of gratitude to Jesus, the great physician who saves our soul. And our response is to live for him who died for us. And so in Romans chapter six, Paul kind of lays this out. So I'm going to take you now to Romans chapter six, verse one. And in Romans six, Paul has been writing to the Christians in the city of Rome about the grace of God. The grace of God means the unmerited love of God, that God loves you not because you are a good religious person. God doesn't love you because God just loves you. It's unmerited. In fact, God loves you in spite of your great demerit, in spite of our sin and Paul's concerned that all this writing and talking and teaching about the grace of God may give some Christians the wrong impression that, woo, I've got fire insurance. I'm on my way to heaven. My sins are forgiven. And God's looked at my sin and where my sin abounds. God's grace is even greater. So maybe, maybe I ought to just show the world how awesome God is by just continuing to live a sinful life. I mean, after all, I'm going to heaven when I die. It doesn't matter what I do, my sins are forgiven. And, and the more I sin and the more God forgives, it just makes God look good. So it's a win-win. That's what Paul was concerned, that people would justify in their mind. And I know none of us in this room have ever justified making a sinful choice because we know we're saved. And, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I know my, my sins have been forgiven. So Paul writes Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul says, don't you remember? The moment you placed your faith in Jesus, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into the body of Christ. You symbolize that with your water baptism. Your water baptism symbolized the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When a person is in the water, they're saying, I believe Jesus died for me publicly on a cross. When they're placed under the water and brought back up, they're saying, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, but he rose from the dead. You're you're picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But remember... You were crucified with Christ. You're also picturing, I've been crucified with him. I have been buried with him. I have been raised to live a new life now. Not a life dedicated to sin, but a life dedicated to my Savior. That's what your water baptism symbolized. By the way, if you've never followed Jesus in baptism, do that. Go public. Obey his command to be baptized, to show the world your faith in the Savior. And let us know. Go to our website and click on the baptism card and we'll, we'll schedule your baptism and let you go public with your faith. Whenever I put this wedding ring on my finger, actually, when my wife put this wedding ring on my finger, February 2nd, 1991, it's not come off since then, by the way, and I've bent it, so now I can't get it off. And not that I've gained any weight, but um, that ring has never come off my finger. That ring is a reminder that I said, I do. Pledging my love, my loyalty, my commitment, no matter what, to that one person in my life. And this is a reminder of those vows and to be true to that. Your baptism is like that. You said, I do to Jesus. You don't want to keep living in sin because it shows you don't understand what he did for you. Verse 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Paul writes, We know that our old self was crucified with him. Why? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The body of sin, the Old Testament law and its penalties against you have been brought to nothing, not because God swept it under the rug, but because God publicly killed his own son in your place to pay your price. And you are no longer enslaved to sin. And then jump down to Romans 6, verse 11. He writes, So you also must consider yourselves, maybe your Bible translation reads reckon, you must also reckon yourselves or consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its lust. Don't let sin be the king of your life. Let Jesus be the king of your life. Verse 13, do not present your members, talking about the parts of your body, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Paul says your crucifixion with Christ is a fact to be remembered, but it's also a force to be reckoned in your life. When you are tempted to sin, remember, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. Now Christ lives in me. And I'm going to let Christ live the Christian life through me. And that will change the decisions and the behaviors of your life. I'm going to dedicate my life, my body, my time, my talent, my skill, my relationships. I'm going to dedicate everything to living for him who died for me. Whenever I'm feeling condemned by my sin and my past, I'm going to remember Christ paid the price for me. And I've been set free. When I'm about to make a decision about my relationship with God or my relationship with other people, I'm going to remember it's Christ who lives in me. The old me has died. It's no longer my life anymore. My life is dedicated to Christ. And when I don't have the strength to live the Christian life, which I don't, I rely on Christ who lives in me. The presence of Christ in me to help me live the life that he wants me to live. It was Booker T. Washington who was born in April 1856 He was born to a mother who was a slave in Franklin County, Virginia. And Booker T. Washington and his siblings grew up as slaves on a plantation. As a little boy, during the Civil War, he worried what would happen if the South wins, will never be set free. But he said in his autobiography that he wrote later as an older man, his autobiography called uh, Up From Slavery. He wrote that he remembered the day that a stranger showed up at their plantation announcing the end of the Civil War and that all the slaves were now free. He said the man read a speech. He assumed later it must have been the Emancipation Proclamation from President Abraham Lincoln. And he said he looked over as a little boy at his mother And tears of joy were streaming down her cheeks. He said, she embraced me and my siblings and she kissed us on the cheek. And she said, the day I've prayed for all my life has come, we are free. He said, but the joy soon dissipated with concern. What does it mean to be free? We've never known freedom. How do we live? How do we Make decisions. How do we care for ourselves? Now we got to make sure that we're taking care of our family and our friends and our community. What does it mean to be free? And he said the discovery that they were free just led them on a new journey of discovering how to live free. And friend, the good news of Jesus when you place your faith in him is you are free. You are free from the penalty of sin. You are free from a separation from a holy God, you are free to live a new life that God has made possible through Christ. You are free from trying to earn your way into God's good graces or his family. But now, the rest of your Christian life, you get to learn how to live free. And I think Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 is a great way to learn how to live free. Whenever you're tempted, remember Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Whenever you're condemned by your own past, remember Galatians 2.20. When you're about to make a decision about your relationship with God or other people, remember Galatians 2.20. Whenever you're struggling to find the power to keep on fighting the good fight, remember Galatians 2.20. In fact, here's your homework. I printed this verse for you on the back of your bulletin today. I'm going to encourage you today to cut it out. Not, you cut that out, that sin, you cut that out. I mean the verse, cut the verse out of your bulletin and keep it with you somewhere this week. Maybe you'll put it on the dashboard of your car so when you're sitting at a red light, you can glance over and begin to memorize this verse and meditate on it. Remember I said it at a red light. Don't do this while you're driving. Maybe you'll tape it to the mirror in your bathroom so when you're getting up in the morning, getting ready, brushing your teeth, that you can memorize Galatians 2.20 and think about it all day that day. Maybe you'll take it and tape it somewhere at work where you can see it. It'll not only help you, someone may even ask you, what does that mean? You can share the gospel of Jesus with them. But I want to give you homework this week to memorize Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It'll change your life when you let this become the motivation for your life, the identity of your life, the power of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for what we've learned or what we've been reminded of today concerning your grace through Jesus, your Son, our Savior. God, we thank you for the great exchange. We thank you that he gave his righteous life to our credit and he took our sinful lives and all the punishment that it deserves upon his own body on the cross. And we thank you that he sets us free when we place our trust in him as our Lord and our Savior. But God, we need to learn how to live free. So would you help us today to remember the power of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? Would you help us to memorize this verse and to think about it throughout our days? Help us to think about it and act on it when we're tempted to sin, when we feel condemned, when we're making choices of how we treat you or how we treat other people in our family or online or social media or people of a different political persuasion. Help us to remember this verse and help us to remember Galatians two twenty when we need to be reminded we can't live the Christian life. We don't have the power, but Christ lives in us. And we just want to get out of his way and let him live his life through us. God, there could be someone in this room today who needs Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. I pray that right now, today, in this moment, by faith, they will confess their sin to you, receive your promised forgiveness for their sin, and realize that today they are free through their faith in Jesus, by his grace. And now they can learn how to live free. Thank you that this church can help them and other Christians can help them. But we rejoice in anyone today who is placing their faith in Christ as Savior. It's in his name we pray and everyone said, Amen.